Well, good morning. Good morning. Uh, so very thankful and honored to uh, be with you this morning. Uh, Pastor Todd said when he was in uh, Odessa, one of the most powerful sermons he's ever heard in his life. No pressure at all this morning. Now, thanks for that. Appreciate that. Uh, listen, uh, yeah, my name is uh, Pastor Caleb. I come from uh, Mesquite, Texas. I am the son of a, of a church planner. My father is currently the lead pastor. We serve uh, together and excited and honored to be here uh, with you this morning. I know it is not by accident uh, that I am standing before you, but it is all God's divine providence for our lives. And hopefully, prayerfully, uh, there is a word from him uh, that will convict your hearts and prick your minds as well. We'll go ahead and dive right into God's word. Let me thank also Pastor Todd for this opportunity. You all have a wonderful, wonderful pastor, and I consider him a dear. That's right. There we go. That's good. That's good. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to 1 Samuel, 1 Samuel, the 28th chapter. Read two verses there. Traveled in last night, a lot of things going on in my house and at the church, and when I Got in last night, I discovered I was missing two things that you should never be missing in the Bible belt. Uh, I was literally missing my Bible and my belt, but God is good. <laughs> and we are, that's not a joke. And we are going to still uh, push forward with God's word for today. First Samuel chapter 22, uh, beginning in the first verse. Read two verses uh, from here. If you're looking for First Samuel as you're turning, if you've gone to Second Samuel, you've gone too far. So 1 Samuel chapter 22, beginning in the first verse. Here's what it reads. David departed there and escaped to the cave of Adullam. And when his brothers and all of his father's house heard it, they went down there to him. And everyone who was in distress and everyone who was in debt, and everyone who was bitter in soul gathered to him. He became commander over them, and there were with him about 400 men. May the Lord have a blessing to the readers and the hearers, but most importantly, the doers of his word. Just for a moment, I want to talk to you from the subject entitled, Questions from the Cave. Questions from the Cave. If you were to see men and women compete in Olympic archery, you will discover that they are aiming about 230 feet away at a target. It's about three feet by nine inches in diameter. And while they are aiming at this target that's about three feet by nine inches in diameter, their goal is to hit a bullseye that is about five inches in diameter. I believe that if I were to place a target up here with a bullseye and have you all stand back 230 feet and then place a million dollars right next to it, you all would have every intention on pulling back that bow and hitting not just the target, but the bullseye. You would have every intention to get that million dollars. You would already start thinking of how you would spend it as you're aiming. Some of you would try to will the arrow with your mind as you loose that arrow with the intention and expectation of hitting that bullseye. But I would not be afraid of losing that money. Unless we have some bow hunters in the house, that might be something different. But here's the reality 
of life and what we discover every day we wake up with an intention and an expectation of hitting life's bullseye. As a matter of fact, 2020 has shown us that this is a reality that you can have the best of ideas, the best of intentions, the best of this and the best of that, and you will still come up short. Because sometimes our intentions can be detrimental and our expectations can be derailed. What am I saying? We start off one way and discover that life takes us another way. For many of you, 2020, um, you entered into this year with plans. You, you were beginning to think of all the different things that you would do this year, jobs, you would work uh, different places you would visit, and it has hit you like a ton of bricks. Many of you may have lost loved ones, and you have struggled with the depression of 2020, and 2020 for many of you is like a cave. It is a place in which you have found yourself disappointed and depressed. What happens when you are here, David, much like you, much like many of us, found himself in a cave. But when we look at the different times in which this word cave is used throughout the Bible, we discover that it has three distinct purposes. The first one is that it is a burial place. It's a tomb for those who have died. Another one is that it is a temporary refuge, a place just to get away for a while. But then we also discover that it's a place where you can hide in emergencies. I'll say that again, it is a burial place, a tomb for those who have died. It also can be a temporary escape, temporary refuge, temporary dwelling. But then lastly, when you find yourself in an emergency sort of situation, it is a place where you can get away from danger. Here's what I'm trying to help you with this morning. There are some distinct differences between the three uses of the cave. One of them stands outside all the others because when you consider one of them is death, the other two, you still have your life. So what am I trying to help you with? Even if you find yourself in a cave, that might be the bad news. But the good news is that if you can still inhale and exhale, that means God still has you alive and he still has a plan and a purpose for your life. It's up to you to know, discover what that is. When we look at David's life, when Charles Swindoll wrote a book over David's life and when he got to this particular series, this particular chapter, this, this circumstance of David's life, here's what he said. He said, when the sovereign God brings us to nothing, it is to reroute our lives, not to end them. So when God brings us to a place where we are lost, where we don't understand, where we are confused, where we are broken, where we are hurting, where we seem to be all by ourselves, it is not to end our lives, but to get us back on track for what he has designed for us to do. So here we are in the cave, and I believe if we were to ask David what was going through his mind, questions he might have been asking, the first I want to lay on your lap is the thing he would ask is, why am I here? For many of us, when we look back over our lives, there are certain steps that we took to end up in the places where we are, but there are also some times where we just ended up there without any fault of our own. David, as he is sitting in this dark and damp and a dingy cave, he must be wondering to himself, how did I end up here? Why am I here? And, and, and here's what happens in previously in the text. In chapter 16, he is anointed by Samuel to be the next king. 
In chapter 17, he slays the giant Goliath. In chapter 18, he's called to come and live in the palace with Saul, to live with the king, and he is a successful soldier. And Saul gets jealous at David's successes, and he tries to kill David not once but twice. In chapter 19, it's the same soup warmed over. David is winning battle after battle. Saul tries to kill him, and David escapes from Saul's wrath. In chapter 20, David forms a bond and a friendship with Saul's son, Jonathan, and Jonathan warns David that his father is once again plotting to kill David. In chapter 21, David flees, finds himself by the priest, but then moves from there and goes to a place called Gath. And now in chapter 22, we discover that David has departed from where he was and has escaped to a cave. How does David just move through life like this? How quickly he has gone from victory on the battlefield against Goliath to now cowering in a cave. In five chapters, he moved from being a champion to seemingly being a coward. And here's the truth of life. If you are not careful, you quickly too can find yourself experiencing life successes one day and the next day going through life's tragedies. Question is, how do you handle it? Not when you are up, but when you are down. David asked the question, why am I here? How have I ended up in this place? See, he was a champion. He was a victor over seemingly insurmountable odds, and yet he still finds himself in a place he never should be. Sometimes in order to know while we're here, we have to retrace our steps. I believe there are one of two reasons why we end up in places that we never imagined we would be. One of them would be that God has sent us, but then the other thing is that our fear sends us. When we look over the life of Jesus after he was baptized, the Bible says he then moves from that place of God announcing that this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And from that moment, leaves from there and goes not to ministry, but to the wilderness. Spirit moves him to the wilderness to be tempted by the devil and to experience hunger. And that moment is where God sends him. But in David's life, his fear sent him to a cave. I say it was his fear because we see in the text that after David escapes from Saul, he goes to the last place he ever should have gone, which is Gath. I told you Gath is the hometown of the giant Goliath. The champion of the people, the Philistines, upon whom which David killed on the battlefield. You mean to tell me that David thought the best place to go was the home of his enemy? He must have been really scared because he wasn't thinking right. To, to go to the land, to go to the hometown of the giant that he slayed, knowing that his giant had brothers, and yet David finds himself in Gath. And while he's in Gath, he begins to act crazy, the Bible says, because they bring up the fact that, David, aren't you the one who, who slayed 10,000s and Saul slayed thousands? Aren't you that guy? And David says, they will discover me, so let me pretend to be crazy. So he begins to drool in his beard, acting outside of himself. Your fear will cause you to do some dumb stuff. That's exactly what David does. Why is he here? Because now he has moved from a place where he was prepared to walk where God had called him, but fear took over him. 
And his fear moved him from there to the cave. So very often we know that there are some things and some places that we should be and some things that we should do. We let our fear grip us. And we forget the same God who was with us on the battlefield with Goliath is the same God who can protect us no matter what we go through. But in moments of fear, we make rash decisions. And this is what David does. Now he's in a cave questioning his very existence and while he's here. We know why David is here. We know why David is in the cave. Now, I ask you the same question. Why are you in the cave of life you're in? What has led you there? What has caused you to either be so wracked by fear or maybe God is trying to speak to you in that place? Because Saul rejected David, David fled to Gath because he was in the wrong place. He had the wrong mind and he got scared. And when he acted scared, he acted crazy. And because he acted crazy, he ends up in a cave. David was called to be a conqueror not a cower. Nothing worse than a guard dog that is afraid of the intruder. What's the purpose of that? What's the purpose of God equipping his saints for the work of the ministry if all we're going to do is tuck tail and run? Why am I here? See, often what happens is that we end up in places because we get comfortable, we get complacent, have you ever been driving uh, home from, from work or from, from school or, or from a place you've, you've been a number of times and you arrive uh, at your house without even thinking about it? You didn't think, oh, turn left here. You didn't think turn right here. You saw the stoplight, but you didn't really think in your mind, okay, stop now. No, you know, you're driving on, on autopilot. Your subconscious has taken a hold of the wheel, and you are now just driving without even realizing that you're doing so. But the problem with doing this is that your, your conscious is what in turn allows you to recognize danger. You are in your subconscious. Sometimes somebody will break in front of you and you'll break too hard because your subconscious has taken over and, and you're not really assessing the danger that is before you. So you break much harder than you intended to than the danger that was in front of you. And I see David living subconsciously during this time. And so therefore he breaks too hard. And breaking too hard, he finds himself in this cave. Driving on autopilot, maybe he reacted out of fear because he forgot what God had said. Maybe he, he's, he's, he's acting this way, but, but here's the reality. Fear can lead you down paths and to places that fall outside of your promise. David, why are you here? Why am I here? It's because of your fear. But here's the thing. David enters into this cave alone. What a horrible place to be. Can you imagine the loneliness of this, this damp, this dark, this, this depressive and, and dingy cave? Can you imagine what it is? But, but it wasn't until David was by himself that God met David and gave him what he needed when he was alone. And David's life was a living testimony of what could happen when David found himself by himself. David was a shepherd, just a boy and a shepherd 
He would be by himself watching over the sheep and vicious and ferocious animals would come to take the sheep. And David, but with nobody but him and God, was able to fend off these sheep. When David found himself face to face with the Philistine giant named Goliath, it wasn't Saul's armor that protected him. It wasn't the army behind him. He did not have a second who came to protect David. It was just David and God. And God showed David then that you don't need anybody else but me and your moments of weakness, and I can give you more than what you ever thought you needed. That's what happens in David's life. Why is he here? God is having David in a place where God is preparing him because here's what happens. Only God can take our fearful moments and use them as foundation to fortify our faith. What does that mean? In our weakness, God can show us strength. In our despair, God can give us peace. In our hardships, God can make us happy. Only God is able to take what would be used against us and use it to make us stronger. It's the beautiful thing about God, our relationship with him. David, why are you here? The Bible says that when he's here, some people begin to join him. The Bible says his family begins to come and join David. Now, for some of you, this is uh, good news. For some of you, this might be bad news. As a matter of fact, if we look over David's life, we discover that his father had forgotten about him at David's um, anointing. His father uh, forgot that there was just still another son he had who was out there watching the sheep. We knew, we know uh, from the Bible that, that when David went to go visit his brothers on the battlefield, that, that his brothers mocked and jeered David, at David thinking that he could take on this giant. But this is who God sends David first. And what blows my mind is that the Bible says that, that his family heard he was there. Now, David was trying to hide. He was trying to escape. So, so that means there was obviously a gossip in the family. Raise your hand if that's you so we know right now. I'm trying to figure out who told what was going on. One of the things that my sons love to do um, is whenever I come home, um, they all like to hide. I have three boys, three, seven, um, and 12. And so they like to hide, and I have to come find them. Every time I come home, it's just a little game that we play. And I always know how to find them is because I call out the youngest one's name. And if he's not hiding with his brothers, he's seen where they're hiding. So I say, Camden, where are your brothers? And they say, oh, don't tell them because they already know he's going to be the one to tell them where we are. So here it is. David's family comes to join him. It's David's family. But then after David's family comes to join him, notice these cast of characters who join David in the cave. The Bible says, and everyone who was in distress, everyone who was in debt, and everyone who was bitter in soul gathered to him. Look at that group. David's in a cave because of difficult life experiences, and it would seem as if when God should have sent him a life preserver to save him from drowning, he sent him an anvil. What can I do with these people? Are these people going to help me in my situation? There are people who are in debt, people who are in distress, people who are bitter in soul. Look at these people, people who are in distress, whose life had pressed upon them so. Literally, the pressure of life was too much for them. People who were in debt, who, who owed more than what they had, and, and because they were in debt up to their eyeballs, they lost everything that they had. This is who joins David. But the one about the people who were bitter in soul gets to me every time. Because these are people who are angry about the hand that they have been dealt 
These are people who are, who are bitter, who are frustrated, who are hurting, who, who life has dealt them in such a way that it seems as if the whole world is against them. And these are the people who have come to join David. God, why have you surrounded me with people who seemingly can't help me? And I love that David can ask the question, not just why am I here, but who's here with me? It's people who, on the surface, can't do anything for him. People who on the surface can't do anything to help him. But I love it just like I love what's happening in the cave. I believe the same thing can happen in the church because if you look around you, you will see that there are people here this morning and watching online who are in distress. There are people who are here this morning who are in debt. There are people here this morning who life has been so hard on them that they are bitter to their very core. Here's what I love about it. Because there might be somebody in distress, but they have resources. They can help out those who are in debt. There might be someone who is in debt, but they are still able to be cheerful, and they might be able to speak a word of encouragement to those who are bitter in soul. In other words, when the collective body comes together, God is able to take our bitterness, our difficulty, our despair, our debt, and bring us together and be more together than we were apart. That's the beauty of what God can do. Who's here with me? These people who seemingly can't help David. The reality is God knew what he was doing. God knew who he was surrounding David with because they had something in common. Common denominator was Saul. Saul had been the king he was supposed to be, there wouldn't be all of these people in debt. If Saul had been the king he was supposed to be, there wouldn't be all of these people who were in despair, who were bitter. There wouldn't be all of these people who were broken like this. And they all had this common denominator of Saul. So right when David thought he was the only one being oppressed and depressed by Saul, God sends him people who have the same issues. Just when you think you're the only one going through what you're going through. Be encouraged to know that you're not. You're not the only one whose child was raised in church and now it seems as if they've gone wayward. You're not the only one who's having difficulty in your marriage. You're not the only one whose finances aren't what you thought they would be in 2020. You aren't the only one who has experienced the loss of a loved one. You are not by yourself, but we all have the commonality together of the brokenness of this world, but we also have the commonality of a savior who can do something about it. That's what we see. Why am I here? Who's with me? The last question we want to ask is, will I come out better than I went in? Will I come out better than I went in? I like it because the Bible says that they gathered, they gathered together to David. Um, the word gathered is used a number of times in 1 Samuel. Uh, as a matter of fact, nearly more times in 1 Samuel, then all of the previous books of the Bible before you get to 1 Samuel. But the last time this word um, gathered was used was 1 Samuel chapter 8, verse 4. And I want you to notice the distinction, the difference between these two, how they are in juxtaposition to one another. In 1 Samuel chapter 8, verse 4, the Bible says the elders of Israel gathered together, came to Samuel and demanded a king. That's 1 Samuel chapter 8, verse 4. But then on the other end, we see in 1 Samuel chapter 22, verse 2, that this group of malcontents gather together to David. Notice in one instance, these people gather together 
to say, we don't want a priest anymore. We don't, we don't want your sons to rule over us. Give us a king. And on the other end, these people gather together, whether they realize it or not, so that they might crown and help David become king, the man who God wanted to be king. It's amazing how God works things out. How God does what only God can do. We see that very plain in this particular story. But it's not about how you go into the cave. It's about how you come out of the cave. You cannot be complacent where you are. Uh, just a few weeks ago, my wife called me. and She let me know that she, uh, her, her car had stalled. Um, her battery seemed to be dead. Uh, and I knew I was in trouble. I tell you why I knew I was in trouble because uh, she had been telling me for a few weeks at that point that every time she started it up, um, something was happening and, and I didn't pay attention. So, y'all, I was praying the whole drive over uh, that, 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 um, that everything would be okay. Uh, when I get to her, she stalled at the gas station and I was, I was shaking at the wheel. If there would have been a cave for me to go to at that time, I probably would have done that and just sent AAA. But, but so I, I go um, to, to, to check on her and I noticed that when I get there, uh, they're, they're listening to music in the car. So they weren't able to drive, but they were still able to listen to music. And, and, and this blew my mind. I thought the battery was dead, and the battery was, in fact, dead, but there was just still enough power for them to be able to listen to music, but not enough for them to have any movement. Hear me well, my friends, do not get complacent with the music of life when God wants us to move. That is not the purpose of the car is not to listen to music, but to take you from one place to another. If they had gotten content staying there, they never would have made it to where they were supposed to be. And God is saying sometimes you find yourself in caves, but it's not meant for you to stay there. Just know that when you come out of it, there is a mission for you. Well, I come out better than I went in. The Bible says that when these people join David, he becomes commander over them. He went into the cave by himself. He went in the cave lonely. He went into the cave without his family, but comes out with his family by his side. He went into the cave as an army of one, but comes out as an army of 400. He went into that cave acting crazy, but comes out acting courageous. As a matter of fact, what we discover is that David's place of escape became a training ground for his soldiers. This is what God does in the life of David. We know this because in chapter 23, the very next chapter, David gets word that the Philistines are attacking a village. So he takes his 400 troops and he goes and he defeats the Philistines in battle. And there is a difference in chapter 23 than the, than the battles that David fought before, because before David used Saul's soldiers, now he uses his own. Before David had to fight with what Saul gave him. Now he's fighting with what God has given him. Sometimes it takes us camping out in caves in order to get what we need so that we might be prepared for what God is sending us to do next. They came out of their cave on a mission. In the New Testament, there's a cave where Jesus stands before the cave. A stone is in front of it, and he stands there, and he, he weeps. 
Then he tells them to roll that particular stone away because there's a man by the name of Lazarus who was in there who has been dead for four days. And Martha tries to tell Jesus he, he's been dead for too long, but Jesus calls Lazarus' name. And Lazarus gets up from that cave because he might have had the, the stench of death on him, but Jesus was going to save him and bring him back to life in that moment. And I, as I consider and think back over my life, when I've experienced the caves of depression, the caves of sin, the caves of difficulty, the caves that I've gone through in life and God has called my name. He did not call for me to stay in the cave, but to come out declaring his goodness, his grace, and his mercy to a sin sick and a dying world. My cave prepared me to stand and tell somebody that Jesus is real. Jesus loves me. God has a plan for me. That hell is hot and heaven is real. The only way to get there is to know Jesus for yourself. Many of you have experienced caves. Many of you might find yourself in one right now. Here's how I know that God um, has a plan for us to come out of our caves because Jesus did it himself. He went into a borrowed tomb, a borrowed cave. If they were to ask him, why am I here? He says, I'm here to do my father's will. He went into that cave, and if you were to ask him, who is here with me? He, he didn't bring anybody with him, but he brought our sin. He brought our despair. He brought our difficulty in the cave with him. And if you were to ask him, will you come out better than you went in? The Bible says he rose with all power in the palm of his hand. That's what Jesus has done. Power to heal, power to save. And power to let you know that when you find yourself in a cave, you are not by yourself. But God sees you. God loves you. God knows you. God is preparing you for what is next in life. There might be somebody here this morning who you've been wrestling with life. You've been wrestling with where you are and how difficult it has been. 2020 was not the year you thought it would be. You've been brought to a place where you never imagined in a thousand years you would end up being. Today is as good of day as any to give your cave to Christ. To let him know that this is too much for me to handle, too much for me to bear. I, I need to learn how to lean and to depend on you in times and moments like this. As the worship team comes from wherever they are, I want to extend to you an opportunity today to put your faith, your hope, and your trust in God. If you've never done it before, it's really simple. You must admit that you are a sinner. You have done something to be against God. Then you must also recognize that God said, I want you to spend eternity with me. So what I'll do is I'll send my only begotten son to die on the cross for your sin. He did that in Jesus, shed his blood so that our caves of today don't keep us there today. But when we come out of them, we can spend eternity in heaven with God. Or maybe you're here and you're saying, I just need somebody to pray with me and to pray for me. It's been a hard time. I, my life is in a rough patch. 
We want to pray with you. We want to pray for you. We want to intercede on your behalf. We want to let you know that, that God didn't promise that every day would be easy. but He did promise never to leave us nor to forsake us in the most difficult days. And as I pray right now, I want you to begin to open up your heart and your mind to what God is saying to you about the cave you find yourself in. As they sang earlier, will you surrender all you have to God? Your time, your trouble, your life. Dear Father, we just come before you as humbly as we know how. Father, there's someone here who is broken. Don't know which way to turn. Don't know what to do. Depression seems to have them bound. But God, we are trusting and believing that you are a God who is able to do anything in the midst of our lives. That God, that you have called us to be reflections to this dying world of what it means to serve a true and a risen Savior. So Father, move across this house this morning. Father, I ask that you would just touch and convict as you see fit. Father, give us a peace that passes all understanding. Lord, if there's someone here who is struggling with the reality of life, Father, I pray that you would send their Holy Spirit to impart upon them that you are a God who loves them, who sees them, who knows them by their very name. And Father, I ask right now that you would have your way. Father, we thank you. We praise you. We magnify you for just simply being God all by yourself, the God who sees us when we are in our caves. Father, help us not to be ashamed of these moments. Because, Father, it's moments like this that show us just how good and how gracious you are. So, Father, move. Father, touch. Father, heal, set free, and deliver. We'll be careful to give your name all the praise, all the glory, and all the honor. In Jesus' name, amen.